0: With me as we read together from Ephesians chapter 6. I'll be reading from verses 13 to 17. Hear now God's word, for he does indeed speak to us through it. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, you have indeed given us your own armor. This morning, Father, I pray that you would equip us for battle, that you would teach us of what you have given to us to protect us from these attacks of the evil one. We pray that you would give us understanding and insight, that you would help us to apply these things to our hearts and to our lives, that we might be safe in your arms. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 124 says this, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Then it ends, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Beloved, last week we talked about how the devil, that ancient serpent, is furious with the state of things and is waging war against his church, and yet scripture is clear that our God is on our side, that our God has promised to protect us, and he has promised chosen to protect us with the glorious armor that he has given to us he has taken his armor and laid it at our feet and has told us to equip ourselves and that's where we go today in our book of Ephesians Uh, simply this that the Lord has given us his own battle armor we must put on that armor to protect against the schemes of the devil Now, this passage uh, is a favorite of many of us, and um, there are six pieces of armor that are listed in this passage that we are exhorted to put on. Before we look at each of these pieces of armor in turn, I want to just talk about some high-level general comments about the armor. The first is that we have to understand that this armor is God's armor, meaning God has given to us the armor from himself. Uh, We just read from Isaiah chapter 59. We also see in other passages in Isaiah, we'll we'll see this in a little bit from Isaiah 11, Isaiah 52, there are uh, references to God himself being clothed with this own armor. But now in this passage, Paul tells us that that armor is ours to put on. But that's the second thing is, how in the world could we possibly put on armor that God himself has worn? And the answer is, the answer that is throughout the book of Ephesians, which is, we put on that armor in Christ. Uh, if you remember in the book of 1 Samuel, there, when David is about to fight Goliath, um, Saul, King Saul, tries to clothe David with his own armor. And after trying it on, David says, I can't fight with this because it's untested. It doesn't fit. And that would be the case for us as well if we did not have a mediator on our behalf. And the Lord Jesus Christ, both God and man, has brought his own armor. And so we are properly clothed. This is battle-tested armor when we come in Christ and are clothed with this armor. But the third thing is, Uh, Paul makes clear in verse 13, he says, take up the whole armor of God. The whole armor. Every piece of this armor is necessary. Not one part may be left out. And we'll talk about this more in just a bit, but we need to keep that in mind. So when we look at the armor, there are six pieces of armor. There is the belt, the breastplate, and the boots. There is the shield, the helmet, and the sword. So let's take a look at each one of these in turn. He starts off, he says, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. It's good for him to begin with the belt. The belt was the first piece of armor that a soldier would put on. Uh, It was a piece of leather that would uh, hold back perhaps robes that they would wear um, to keep all the other garments out of the way, but the belt was also very important because the belt would hold the sword. Um, in fact, some of the soldiers would wear two belts, one for a long sword and one for a dagger. And so this notion of putting on the belt is a imagery of securing uh, your clothing and making ready for battle, making ready for the fight. And he says uh put on the, fasten on the belt of truth. Paul is um, almost certainly referring back to uh, something in Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, In the Greek translation of Isaiah 11, it says this, it says, he, this is talking about the servant of the Lord, who would be the Lord Jesus Christ, he shall be girded with righteousness around his waist and bound with truth around the sides bound with truth, so it is a clothing uh, with truth, and yet in Isaiah, and we'll see this over and over again, in Isaiah, the divine warrior is on offense, and yet this belt is given to us to, as protection, as defense, and it says it's the belt of truth. Well, what are we to, how are we to understand that truth? Well, I think there's actually two senses that are at play, first of all, is it's ultimately the truth of the gospel. This is equipping us for battle. It is only because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of that gospel that we are even in this fight, that we are even clothed with Christ. But As has always been the case, there is the what God has done and then the implications that work out in our lives. So also we are girded with truth as in the integrity and consistency in the midst of our lives as we live out that gospel of truth um, in the course of our lives. So we put on the belt of truth. The next piece is the breastplate. It says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness... The breastplate would protect the upper body and the vital organs of the soldier. And a Roman breastplate was comprised of three parts. It began with uh, horizontal metal strips around the midriff, followed by a metal plate. And both of these strips and the metal plate were fastened in the back and in the front. And then it was finished off by vertical strips over the shoulders, which were riveted to the breastplate. And this protected the soldier from blows or projectiles. It was a very important piece of armor. And as we just read in Isaiah 59, the Lord Jesus Christ put on this breastplate of uh, righteousness as well. But again, it is righteousness on the offense. It is righteousness that is on the way to destroy sin, to bring justice about. But here, it is breast, it is righteousness that is protecting, protecting from the blows of the evil one. And it's the breastplate of righteousness. So again, what, what does this righteousness mean? Again, the two different meanings that we ought to see in this. First and foremost, this is talking about the righteousness of Christ himself, Christ's definitive righteousness, an alien righteousness, meaning apart from ours. is something that is given to us, imputed to us, is the word, technical word we use, where Christ was perfect in every part of his being, and God, when we come to Christ in faith, he imparts that, counts that righteousness as though it is our own. It is the true and definitive righteousness of Christ. But also, just like with everything else, There is a putting on of righteousness, putting off the deeds of darkness. It is a righteousness as we grow in godliness and a grow in holiness that protects us. It is Christ's definitive righteousness and our sanctified righteousness as we grow in holiness, Um, a moral and ethical righteousness. And so we're exhorted to put on the breastplate of righteousness, and a third piece of armor is the boots. Our text says shoes. It says, as And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, Greek text actually doesn't say shoes or boots. It just says, um, having uh, bound up your feet with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And a Roman soldier would have had two different kinds of footwear. Either uh Open-toe sandals for traveling, or heavy combat boots, which is probably what Paul had in mind here. And those heavy combat boots um, were a, a, a signature of the, the Roman army. It was a it was leather boots with opening on on the side of the foot and the ankle for ventilation, um, and then the soles were layers of leather with metal studs underneath the. Uh, the pieces of leather. And the purpose of the studs was to help uh, give traction in the dirt, almost like cleats. Um, also to make uh, comfortable walking over long periods of time, or also to be used as an offensive weapon, uh, using using the boots for that purpose. So it could be used on an offense. And again, Paul seems to be echoing something that comes from the book of Isaiah, where the writer Isaiah says this. He says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. This was a prophetic utterance to talk about the beauty of the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul, in the book of Romans, connects that Isaiah 52 passage with the preaching of the word. But here, he talks about, he says, these boots are for putting on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So what seems to be in his mind is uh, the, the boots are this gospel of peace being ready to share that gospel. Uh, Not necessarily talking about the proclamation itself, but the readiness to share it uh, at any uh, situation. If you remember uh, 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says to the church, Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within you, but do so with gentleness and respect. That seems to be the readiness that Paul has in mind with these boots, the boots of the gospel of peace. So those are the first three pieces of armor, the belt, the breastplate, and the boots. And then we shift to the next three, and there's a noticeable shift from those three to the last three, Um, and it begins with the shield of faith, which uh, which Paul seems to indicate is the most prominent piece of the Christian's armor. He says in verse 16, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Uh, One commentator uh, notes that it seems to be the most prominent for three different reasons. For one, he says, In all circumstances, or in addition to everything else, take up the shield of faith. As though he puts all the other pieces of armor in one bucket. And then he says, but in every circumstance, in all cases, take up this shield of faith. He sets it apart from the rest. Uh, secondly, the shield is the only piece of armor that is given a purpose. He says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The shield is effective in extinguishing these darts. Uh, but the third reason why this is the most prominent is just the nature of the shield itself as part of the Roman soldier's armor. Uh, Roman soldiers could have one of two different kinds of shields. They could have a small round shield um, or a more a larger door-like shield. And that's what Paul has in view here. this large shield that probably went from the knees up to the shoulders, maybe four feet in height and two and a half feet wide. Um, It was made out of wood laminate and covered with leather and metal rimmed. And then it had a a boss in the middle to protect the hand of the person. And this shield was critically important for defending against projectiles or close combat. And if it was soaked in water, then it could uh, extinguish any kind of flaming projectiles. And Paul talks about these flaming projectiles. He says... um, Ex, you know, take up this shield with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. That word translated darts is, um, could really just mean any projectile. Could be a javelin or something that was shot out of a catapult or an arrow or a dart or um, even a thunderbolt um, is used that way. And a lot of times in uh, battle they would, they would ignite these things like arrows or darts, to cause more damage, or to create more havoc and fear. And Paul says that our enemy, our adversary, has flaming darts that he shoots at us. And we have been given a shield which can extinguish it. So I guess we ought to ask, what what, what would those flaming darts be? Um, some of the fathers of our faith or a couple uh, notable ones John Bunyan and Charles Spurgeon uh, have long since dead but they've made accounts of these fathers of our faith that, that had these thoughts that would come into their mind that were uh, evil and unwanted and even blasphemous thoughts um, men who proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ and uh, we're having these unwarranted, unwanted thoughts. Uh, that could be one such type of dart. But, I mean, you and I endure this type of assault as well. We all have sin in our past um, that we're hopefully ashamed of. And yet, we, are, even though we are forgiven in Jesus Christ, we can be tempted to continue to have feelings of guilt and shame, and to focus on those things or to focus on our insecurities rather than moving forward in a way that is um, glorifying to the Lord. Those are flaming darts that, that come, things that cause us to doubt um, our salvation or doubt the, lo- the love of God. And so, um, and we all experience those assaults. But God's given us armor to protect us. He's given us this shield. In fact, it's the shield of faith. And if you think about the importance of faith that Paul has talked about throughout the book of Ephesians, it's huge. Uh, We can't underestimate the importance of faith. He said that it is by grace that we are saved through faith, through faith that we are saved. And yet remember that that faith is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, Paul says. And same thing with the shield. The shield is something that is God's shield, and he has given to us, and he calls us to take hold of it and to embrace it to protect us. But it's not just our individual faith, although that is critically important, but Faith is also the foundational unity of the church. If you remember from Ephesians chapter 4, he says that there is one faith, one Lord, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. So our faith is what protects us individually and corporately. And faith is the ultimate defense against the devil's schemes. Well, not exactly. Not exactly that faith is the ultimate defense against the devil's schemes. If you remember the Old Testament, the Lord said to uh, Abram, he said, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. I am your shield. And the Psalms talk about the Lord is my fortress and my rock and whom I trust. So it is the Lord who is the true shield. And yet faith is the means by which we grab a hold of that. And we cling to those things and we appropriate that protection. As one um, commentator said, he says, faith takes hold of God's resources in the midst of the onslaughts of evil and produces the firm resolve which douses anything the enemy throws at the believer. Faith is the shield. It's cling hold to God who is our shield. So after the shield comes the helmet, he says, and take the helmet of salvation. Uh, You may have noticed that when we read 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul said, uh, take the helmet of the hope of salvation. There is an element that our salvation has been accomplished for us already in Jesus Christ, and there is an element that we await the hope of our salvation. Uh, that our Savior is coming again to save us once and again. The helmet was, um, I mean, we all know what a helmet is, but the Roman helmet was a padded bowl uh, made out of uh, metal with a short brow guard, and it had a larger flared neck guard and uh, hinged cheek guards, and so it protected not just the head but also the neck and the shoulders. Um, It was made of bronze or iron so that nothing but an axe or a hammer could pierce it. And this is uh, yet another piece of armor that the divine warrior is wearing in Isaiah 59. But there it is, salvation means redemption from sin. And here, we have been redeemed from sin. And this helmet is now protecting us from the onslaughts of the evil one. Here we have received the, el- the, the, the helmet, which was involved in the conquering mission to save us for himself, and we are clothed to protect our head. Uh, the 19th century theologian Charles Hodge says, the reason why that this is a helmet is he says, that which adorns and protects the Christian, which enables him to hold his head up high with confidence and joy, is the fact that he is saved. It is the helmet that allows us to hold our head up high with confidence and joy. And then the last piece of armor is the sword, as it says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, a Roman soldier would have one of two or perhaps both kinds of swords, either a long sword or a short dagger-like sword. And the sword that Paul is talking about is a short sword, almost like a dagger. It was a relatively short sword that was... Um, could even cut fruit, uh, that type, type of size, but it was, it was not a long sword. So much has been made about this is the, um, the only offensive piece of the armor if you're not going to count the boots. But even so, uh, given the short nature of it, it certainly seems like it is more of a defensive weapon, one for repelling attacks rather than coming to engage uh, an assault And it says, um, this is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And when we try to understand that, there's there's two main ways that we can see that Word of God. The first is um, a Spirit-inspired word to target specific diabolical attacks. So if you think of the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness... That was an instance of him using the word of God to repel the devil's attacks. The, re- the devil used God's word, twisted God's word to tempt the Lord Jesus Christ. And each and every time he responded with a right understanding of God's word. He repelled those attacks that way. That's one way, is a, is a using the word of God to, re- to repel those attacks. But the second way to understand this, is that the word of God refers to the gospel of Jesus Christ itself. And if you think about the context of the book of Ephesians, this may fit even better. The, um, and especially when we talk about this armor, the, the gospel has been considered, has been used, referred to by Paul as the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, most recently as the gospel of peace, It is the gospel which imparts righteousness, and it is the gospel that is received by faith, a connection to each part of the armor of God. And here now the gospel is not merely a defensive mechanism against the devil's schemes, but also an offensive way of repelling those devil's attacks. And the devil does attack in each of these ways. The gospel is the word of truth, but the devil delights in bringing darkened ignorance the gospel is the hope of our salvation but the devil thrives on estrangement from our god and is the gospel of peace but the devil instigates rebellion and enmity against our god and so the means of protecting is also the means of conquering we are saved by grace through faith, we are protected by the gospel of peace. And the best attack is also the best defense. The good news is our protection and our means of repelling, and it is as sure as and as steady as God himself. So as we consider the, all of these pieces of armor, we have to remember, as I said I was going to mention this, that we are called to put on the whole armor of God. Each part is necessary. And one commentator pointed out that each of the pieces of armor is designed to protect against one aspect of the devil's schemes. We talked about the devil's schemes last week, but let's work through it. The the devil is a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning. And so we are given the belt of truth to ward against the devil's lies. The devil is, his name, Satan, means accuser or adversary. And to defend against the accuser, we have been given the breastplate of righteousness, Christ's own righteousness, so that who is there to accuse God's elect? No one. And at the same time, the individual accusations of, yeah, but you're still a sinner, That breastplate of righteousness equips us to continue to grow in righteousness. The righteousness has been given to us so that we might withstand those accusations. We are given boots to withstand the strikes of the serpent who snipes at the heel of the church. We have been given the shield to defend against the tempter and his flaming arrows, his darts. And we've been... Satan is a deceiver, the deceiver of the nations, and we've been given the helmet to give us clear helmet of salvation to, to protect our head from that deceptive lies. And to repel against that ancient serpent, we have been given the sword of Christ's own mouth, the gospel of our salvation, which we wield by faith. And we can't forget If this is is truly God's armor, which it is, we can't neglect to point out the great cost to which we have been given this armor because the divine warrior is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came and stripped off his armor and was exposed to the attacks of the evil one and exposed to the wrath and curse of God on your behalf and on my behalf so that we could be protected and dear christian if you are in christ what you need to picture is your savior having stripped off his armor laying it at your feet and saying get dressed get ready for the the, the fighting will be fierce but this armor will most certainly, protect you, for I have tested it, and it is sure. And as we said last week, we saw also we say today the command is to take up the whole armor of God, to put it on. That, that is the exhortation for us. So the question is, how, how do we put on this armor? Like what, what does that really mean? And I think the answer to that question goes back to that prominent piece of armor faith we put on this armor by faith. Um, every aspect of that gospel of grace which is connected with this armor is received by faith. it is by faith that we accept God's truth as truth as what it really is. Um, it is only by faith that we, receive that righteousness that is ours in Jesus Christ. It is by faith that we walk in righteousness, that we put off the deeds of darkness and put on the righteousness of Christ. It is by faith that we um, receive this salvation. It is by faith that we uh, are ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. It is by faith that we wield the sword of the Spirit. It is And Hebrews chapter 11 says that faith is a conviction or an assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things unseen. And beloved, this whole section is talking about an unseen conflict with an unseen enemy, with unseen weaponry and unseen armor. So how could we possibly wield this or wage this war? apart from faith. We must take a conviction that this is God's word and that it is true. And it is only by faith that we cling to the hope that this armor will truly protect us, that there is no other way, and indeed there is no other way, to be defended against this foe, for only God's armor will be sure. If you read all the way through the pages of Scripture, there's obviously a, a, a major theme of battle and fighting and war that wages uh, throughout all of Scripture. And part of what uh, we experience now is that conflict, that invisible conflict with the evil one and his, as we endure his schemes. And yet, beloved, the good news is that the final battle has already been described for us. It, the pages have already been written, even though we continue to experience this. In Revelation chapter 20, it tells this story. It says that uh, when a thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth. He gathers them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Beloved brothers and sisters, we are warriors and we have been put in the midst of this fight, and yet the victory has already been determined. The pages of the story have been written, and we have been conscripted into that army, and we are called to stand firm to the end. We have been equipped to stand firm to the end. And if we put on this armor, we will surely stand, for this is the Lord's armor. So stand firm be bold, for the victory is ours in Christ Jesus. Praise be to God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have revealed to us our need for protection, and you have provided that protection. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would enable us to put on this armor, even the armor of Christ himself, to protect us from these attacks, that we might stand firm to the end. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.